Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to the show. I appreciate it. And today, uh, a fellow I've been, well, I've been chasing down for weeks, months now, but he's a busy guy. He's a former chief of West Bank First Nations, Robert Louie. Welcome to uh, Rick and Friends. Thank you very much, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So um, where are you right now? I'm in Winnipeg. Um, I have business out here. I'm, uh, I'm chairman of a trustee of Apartment Plus REIT, and uh, we have uh, a trusteeship meeting uh, this, uh, this week, and, uh, and we're dealing with apartment buildings and residential commercial buildings and all the fun sort of uh, things that REIT uh, brings uh, uh, to business. So it, it seems like your schedule is, is just helter-skelter these days. It, it seems like you're, you're moving, shaken, and, and I thought you were supposed to be retired or something, weren't you? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I will never retire. I think I've said that to many of my closest uh, friends. I can't retire. Uh, I'm in still, and I, I feel very, very good. I think I'm in excellent health. Uh, I've got uh, lots of energy. Um, you know, for my age, uh, I think I'm doing pretty good as far as, uh, health wise. So yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I like business. Uh, I like, uh, moving things, uh, you know, positive directions. So, uh, yeah, there's no way I can retire. Does, does your wife ever say to you, just please, can we just take, can we just take some time? Does she, ever, does she ever say that? But, it, but she's traveling <laughs> oh, with you. So it's, it's probably, she's probably right in, in there, in the trenches with you. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, uh, she's made the point now over the, over the years, uh, she kind of wants to travel with me, uh, pretty much every place I go. So, I mean, I've got, uh, you know, I've got my wife with me, so I mean, uh, I can't, uh, I can't ask for anything more. So oh, that's it's great. Now you, uh, I was, I was cursing you, uh, last night because I was in my home gym at about, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night because it was something you said that stuck with me, which is you, you actually uh, exercise or work out every single day, and it, it, you know, it, is that part of the reason why you have so much uh, energy? Well, I like to think so. Uh, I took the, uh, the direction from a close friend of mine from uh, New Brunswick, a former chief. He told me, uh, you know, several years back that he exercises every day, and he's he's pushing close to five years every day. He's never missed so. And I thought about it for a while, and uh, I just started working out one day, and I I haven't stopped. So every day I uh, I work out. So it's now a very religious ritual for me, and I and I uh, and I I feel great for it. I, I encourage everybody to do it. So it's painful sometimes, but uh, <laughs> it it does work in the end. I think. So you've done, uh, you know, your your body of work, your legacy, I guess you could say, and not that you're finished, and you're certainly not. But is there is there anything that sticks out so far that you are most proud of that uh, you were able to move forward? Because you do uh, many different things, business as well as advocacy. Is there anything that sticks out right now that you look back and you go, wow, I, I did that? Or is there anything that sticks out for you? Well, I, I guess there's several things, Rick. Uh, one of the things I'm very, very proud of, talking about my own community at West Bank, you know, I've worked for many years to uh, to move the jurisdiction, the uh, governmental decision-making capacity, and and having West Bank First Nation self-government is is uh, is a very proud time. So I'm pleased to have worked many many years on that, and it's and it's and it was successful. 
Uh, I'm also very proud of the fact that I work with First Nations all over Canada into in, in, in moving self-governance from one end of Canada, from Vancouver Island right through to Newfoundland. And right now we've got 103 First Nations that are self-governing under the under uh, under land codes and have full land management jurisdiction and uh, and we're dealing now uh, total total involvement is about 240 first nations out of out of uh, you know over uh, over 630 uh, first nations 633 first nations so about one out of three first nations in Canada I deal directly with uh, or indirectly into uh, implementing and getting support for them for self-government. So that's, uh, that's very rewarding uh, in, in, uh, in looking back uh, over time and the achievements that, are, that First Nation communities have made in Canada. It's, uh, it's tremendous and I'm very, very proud of that. So those are two really major things that stick out uh, for me. And, and what, does, um, what does that mean? Because you know, we hear that term and for many listeners, you know, they, they don't really know the impact that self-governance has on a band. Can you kind of explain or, or help us with uh, what that means? Yes. Well, uh, self-government uh, really means that uh, a First Nation needs to have decision-making. It has to have governance authority uh, to make laws. Uh, I mean, real laws, like the federal government, like the provinces do. This is real lawmaking capacity. Uh, that is uh, what's needed if First Nations are going to move ahead in today's society. I mean, uh, reports have, have been done with Harvard University and, and other places uh, confirming that that if the First Nation or if the Indigenous groups have the capacity and have the authority and the jurisdiction, you're going to move mountains. Uh, you, you, you move with, with business. There's no delays. There's no waiting for um, uh, someone, uh, you know, within a regional office or in Ottawa saying you can or cannot do it. You make your own decisions and you move uh, at the direction of the people, of the community. And it's, uh, it's I think, where First Nations in Canada are all leading and going to. Uh, some are slower than others, but eventually I believe all of the communities in Canada will get there. So that is, uh, that is tremendous, and it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts uh, to get there. And it, and, and sound, you know, you're, you're obviously busy doing that, but talk about a bit about the process to get there, because it seems like you would have to have a lot of different people around the table in order to make sure that that, that is carried forward. Well, yes, there's a lot that has to be done. Uh, I'll use, uh, you know, my own community here at West Bank, for example. You know, we moved uh, uh, in, in many directions to get ourselves ready for, for governance. Uh, that is, we needed our infrastructure in place. Uh, we needed to have a, a government uh, structure with proper constitution, proper accountability to uh, be an effective government. And uh, that takes a lot of time. And for us, uh, we moved uh, at the pace of business. And I think we moved uh, at, in, in retrospect at pretty much lightning um, pace because we moved ahead with property taxation. I mean, today we're, we're pushing between 18, $20 million of annual property taxes that's collected. That goes into the government uh, structure. It goes to provide services. It, it moves ahead the, the government requirements of infrastructure and, and uh, running, a, running a, a community. And so this is very important. So for us, um, we took it step by step. 
getting the training, getting people uh, familiar with running business. And, and to be a, a government, uh, to be an effective government, you have to have proper uh, policies, procedures, everything in place. You need the jurisdiction. So for us, we pushed ahead with the land code. Our land code was accepted by the by their membership in 2003. Uh, by 2005, we moved to the next step of, of uh, South government and we, we negotiated an agreement with Canada and I was part of that. And for us, uh, it, it's moved, uh, moved mountain for us. Uh, and there's still further work that needs to be done. Uh, I think we can expand our jurisdiction and that's something that I plan to do if elected chief in this upcoming election. I intend to, to go to the community and say, look, uh, people, um, how far do we want to go? Where do you want to, to go as a community? How far do we expand our governance authority? And I think it's very, very possible. I think that communities like West Bank and other communities can be totally 100% self-sufficient. I am absolutely... Um, 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 feeling that uh, it is all possible. It takes the will, it takes the drive, and it takes community support. And I think that this community, my community here, uh, is prime for that. So you've you've taken over as uh, former chief of West Bank First Nations. So you had two terms, and it seems like you, you almost uh, step away, go deal with other interests, and then you come back in. And is, is there a thought process of why you you choose to do that? Like, it seems like you, you ebb and flow um, pursuing that office. Is that by design or how, why did you kind of step away from it for a while? Well, I had, uh, when I look back, I mean, uh, 1986 to 1996, uh, you know, 2002 to, uh, you know, for another 14 years, that's 24 years uh, as chief. And I look back, uh, you know, I look at back in 1974, I was first elected councillor. I believe I'm still the, the youngest uh, elected councillor for West Bank in our history. I believe that's the case. You know, so uh, when I look at it today and, uh, you know, our, our former chief resigned, um, there's a lot of pressure that's associated with, uh, with being a leader, uh, my community or any community. And I think that um, I think our community needs to, to get the teamwork uh, uh, more organized. It needs to have um, better communication. And I think there's so much that can be done. And, you know, for myself, uh, you know, I've been out of office now going on six years and it's uh, I just cannot sit back and uh, watch our community um, uh, not take advantage of the opportunities that we have before us. And I, and I, I want to be part of that. I want to mentor. I want to help the, uh, the younger uh, leaders out there. I've, I've got, uh, you know, I've uh, 1974 till, till the present, uh, that political experience, uh, I've got a lot and I think I can offer a lot and I will mentor and support uh, not only the elected council members, but the administrative and senior staff. I look forward to that. That's what I enjoy doing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. But it's, it's got to be tough when you step away from an office and then, you know, obviously you have a, so much more on your plate and you see some perhaps missteps. It, it, it's got to kind of, it's, it's got to bother you because you've built a lot for West Bank First Nations and, and to see anything go awry or anything that's a little bit off the path, that, that's got to, you know, two things motivate people, pleasure and pain. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, so it, it's just got to, you know, obviously you can't be uh chief for your whole life because you have, again, so many other things on your plate, but 
does it does it is that part of it is you just want to make sure that it's it's running correctly and and everything you know the advantages are being taken uh you know you're, you're diving in and making sure that the right things are happening is that part of your your pursuit it is uh quite frankly it is uh you know, I see that the you know I see the opportunities that West Bank has, and many other First Nation communities in this country. They they have so much opportunities, and it takes uh, teamwork to achieve those opportunities. And I think that uh, that's where I want to focus my my time, my my energies. Uh, you know, I do all kinds of things uh, uh, right now, and there's some things uh, if if elected chief, I'm going to have to maybe step back on perhaps and and focus on the community, but. One thing is is very very clear. Um, I love my community. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've uh, born here. Um, you know, I'm connected to to the to the community, and uh, and I think that uh, together, you know, as a team and uh, as a community, we can achieve so much. And and I just can't sit back and and uh, watch it uh, slowly erode. I I, uh, I think there's all kinds of improvement and. I'm I'm just ready to to step forward and say, look, let's give it one more term, another three years. Let's see what happens. So when you take on an office like that, something does have to give because you you cannot do it all, and I I do think you still have to sleep. So uh, what what would what would you step away from? Do you have kind of a plan of what you would step away from right now in order to make room for for running such a it's a big role. Well, I've got to give that careful consideration. Um, right now, I'm, you know, I do sit on a number of boards, uh, you know, uh, and some of it is is national, and I I don't want to uh, leave that. I've uh, I've handled that position as chairman of the Lands Advisory Board now for for thirty uh, since about 19, 1989. So, you know, that's thirty plus years I've been involved with that. So. I don't intend to to leave that. Uh, you know, I chair the uh, Peace Hills Trust Financial. It's the largest Aboriginal financial trust company uh, in Canada, and I uh, certainly I want to. I've been involved there since 1996, and you know, I've uh, I don't want to leave that. So there are some things that are very very fundamental. Um, but I sit on some other boards that I assist other First Nations uh, as a director on some land development uh, matters, and and maybe some of those I'd have to really carefully look at and say, look, I I. Just don't have the time. If I'm going to focus it on the WFN, maybe there's some things I'm going to have to uh, sit back and step back on. You know, I was on the BC Achievement Foundation with uh, with uh, people that included the Premier of this province, and uh, we were looking at all kinds of uh, matters. And it's a wonderful organization. I, I had to step away from that uh, in the in the past couple of years, uh, and that was an example of things that when I got too busy, I, I had to let certain things go. But I'll have to really carefully consider just exactly what I what I step back on. But uh, uh, the the major the 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 real major thrusts of of governance and uh, and what it can do for the nation, uh, uh, you know, from a from a First Nation perspective nationwide, um, I think I can still offer a lot, and I've got the energy to to handle all of that. I would imagine it's an advantage to be part of these boards and to have connections uh, that span nationally as well as provincially. And you must bring that to the table every time you step at, you know, you step up to a table and, and uh, you know what, I, I think that partnership needs to happen. I will call that person 
and I will I will move things through. So that seems to be part of your makeup is your network is vast and I think it, it spans different governments. So is that is that part of, of why you're able to be so effective? Well, I don't like to burn bridges, number one. Um, I like to main, uh, maintain contact. Uh, you know, I've met uh, uh, prime ministers, former prime ministers. I've met uh, all kinds of federal ministers, provincial ministers, the premier of the provinces. Uh, I've worked with the premier of the province on, on some matters, on some really, really major uh, matters. So, um, you know, I, am, I, I feel that uh, I, want to, I want to contribute not only as a, as an indigenous person but as a citizen of this country to say look there's so many things that need to be done that can be done and uh, I believe that uh, First Nation communities in particular need to have the context they need to have uh, national provincial um, municipal regional local government all those contacts uh, contacts with the public in general with the corporate businesses that's all important um, and you can't let that uh, lay still uh, it needs uh, always to be uh, always to be uh, top priorities and you know you you've got to be at meetings and you've got to do presentations you've got to be known and I think that's uh, that's some of some of the things I see that's that's gone lacking over the last uh, several years that in my own community, for example, and sometimes it lacks with other communities. And I think that uh, if, if people only stood back that are in leadership to say, look, we have to be involved uh, and it has to be a positive. We have to move forward, not backward. And, uh, you know, there, there's so much that can be done, uh, you know, uh, community wise, uh, nationwide. Uh, and I think that uh, we as peoples, we can all work together. We're living in, on these lands. Uh, we better work together and, and make things good. So that's that's what I firmly believe. So let's uh, let's take you out of the picture for a second. Do you have somebody coming up that's uh, that's going to carry the torch? Are you mentoring or are you? helping anybody with uh, this thought process? Because it seems like, again, you can't be everywhere at once and, and you cannot, uh, <laughs> you can't be, uh, well, I, I would say once you, perhaps, if you take on the, uh, the office again, it seems like you have to have somebody else that's uh, gonna take up you know, these causes. And is there somebody in mind that you're thinking of? Well, I think it will depend on who is elected. Uh, I believe there's 23 uh, that are nominated for councillor just uh, at, at West Bank for the September 15th election. I think today by four o'clock or five o'clock, whenever the electoral officers is, is given the time frame, uh, we'll, we'll know how many are going to run. So for myself, uh, it depends on uh, who is, uh, who is uh, going to be ultimately elected, including myself. I don't know at this point in time, and I don't know who the council might be. But whoever they are, um, um, you know, if I can offer what I know, if I am elected, then, then I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter who is elected if, uh, if we, you know, it's, it's up to the community. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, we have a lot of bright, uh, very bright people. I'm very proud of the educational levels that, uh, you know, that my own community has. And, and we have some very super bright people. And, um, you know, uh, and, and I think that if, if uh, our younger ones especially are mentored properly, if they understand the, the big picture, 
um, put it into context of, of how we can move uh, move things forward for our own community. That's what we have to do. So I'm, I've, I, I have a lot of experience and I've, I've dealt with uh, thousands of issues uh, from one end of the country to another. And, and you know, I, and, and, and including business, my own personal businesses, uh, which I'm very active uh, on as well and still expanding with my own developments, uh, you know, but uh, there, there's so much that, uh, that can be shared and I just look forward to it. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can't uh, favor any, 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 any one person in particular. Um, that's up to the community. For a lot of people, they don't know the the breadth and width of of the West Bank First Nations. So, you have a lot of holdings. You have a lot of properties. Is there any way to to give people a quick insight into what kind of community we're talking about? You know, as far as land mass you you did mention some revenues of 18 to 20 million but what are we talking about here like when when you become a potentially we don't know uh chief of west bank first nations what does that encompass like what is your constituency well right now uh you know we have a uh, on reserve population of somewhere in in excess of 10,000 people as far as uh, as far as a population on an Indian reserve in Canada, we're probably leading the pack. I don't know of any communities yet that have um, ten thousand plus people living there. So we have a lot of responsibility uh, in that regard. Uh, with the number of businesses in the many hundreds of, of businesses, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of responsibility. So, you know, if we compare ourselves with some of the rural communities, perhaps uh, uh, maybe some of those uh, communities that haven't developed as, as far as what West Bank has, I think there's a world of difference. Uh, at the end of the day, I think our communities all want the same thing. We all want harmony. We all want good jobs. Uh, you know, we all want, uh, you know, good education uh, levels and good housing, you know, so we're not dissimilar in that respect. But as a community, I don't think most citizens uh, in, the, in, in the Kelowna uh, area realize where the reserve stops and where it starts and how it blends in. And I think that's good. Some communities, you know, instantly. Um, in our case, uh, you know, I like to see that uh, our community's uh, members look after their homes. We've got good clean yards. Uh, you know, um, people are respectful. We've got street lights. Uh, we've got sidewalks. Uh, you know, we've got community centers. That's important, and you know that's quality of life, and you know it shows. I think that uh, when uh, when people really work together and and what they want to, you know, we're advancing ourselves, and and that's good to see. And I think we can do far 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 more as well. But you know, I think that's what's important. When you hear the words "unceded territory," uh, we respectfully acknowledge we are on the unceded territory of blank name. Uh, name an indigenous. I, well, how does that make you feel, or or what does that mean to you? Because you know, a lot of us hear it, we, you know, we acknowledge it, and then we move on. But what does that mean for you to hear those words uttered? Well, it means that uh, my community, the Okanagan uh, Nation, Silks people, have not uh, settled uh, the lands by treaty. Um, it's, uh, it's unsettled, uh, lands, uh, there's still outstanding land claims that, uh, that West Bank has, that, uh, the Okanagan, uh, nation as a whole have, that hasn't been settled, uh, but we haven't given up ownership claim or title to the lands. 
Um, the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled that uh, Aboriginal title does exist. The Honeywoodin people, the Chilkootin, uh, north of uh, Williams Lake, are, are evidence of that. They moved, uh, they moved the uh, the goalposts of recognition of Aboriginal title. So that is something that's very, very important. So when I look at uh, the word unceded and I look at how it affects us, we haven't settled with Canada. We haven't settled with British Columbia. And we haven't given up a claim to our territories. And until we have that settlement, it's unceded. And we need to reach those agreements and those settlements. And that's one of the issues that I need, that I would want to see being worked on by the leadership of, of my community. So we often talk about, um, you know, as far as pipelines and, and with the, uh, the current federal government, that's a whole other issue, of course, with their... their pipelines and, and uh, Trans Mountain, and that's a whole other subject. But what I'm interested in is um, meaningful uh, Aboriginal ownership of, you know, when, when, they, when we talk about building pipelines and, and what that looks like. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, Stephen Buffalo about this, and uh, he's, of course, uh, leading the, the charge on, on that front. But what does that mean to you? Because again, I, I just want to get the definition of what that means for for a people and, and what that could help provide a community. Well, firstly, I'm very good friends with uh, Stephen Buffalo. He is an advocate of, uh, of development and, uh, and uh, very heavily involved in the energy sector and uh, certainly works for his people very, very well and represents the First Nation communities superbly well. Uh, for what I see, uh, pipelines, uh, I, as one can imagine, I'm pretty much pro-development, but there has to be a balance. Uh, definitely the environmental uh, issues are, are paramount and, uh, and you can't, uh, you can't uh, not forget about that. But pipelines, uh, they're needed in this country. They're needed for the economic benefit of every citizen uh, in, in, in Canada. And uh, there has to be a balance. And, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you build the pipelines the way they should be built, and if you involve the First Nation communities with the claim to Aboriginal title, a claim to the, uh, to the lands and, and unsettled uh, ceded territory, things of that nature, you have to involve the, um, the Indigenous peoples of this land. I've been an advocate for many years. I've told government uh, on several occasions, I've told industry that, look, recognize the First Nations, recognize the ownership, involve the First Nation peoples, make them partners. If the First Nations, for example, had the ownership recognized of the, of the pipelines, I think we'd have a much more effective working relationship. The monies, of course, uh, will generally, the, the bulk will go to the industry and, and to, to make things happen. But there has to be a balance. There has to be recognition. You cannot walk over um, uh, Aboriginal territory of, of a First Nation um, and uh, simply ignore them without consultation. You have to have them involved. And having ownership, direct ownership in the pipelines, I think will be a tremendous, uh, a tremendous asset, a benefit to everyone. And I think that's uh, that's something I've been advocating now since day one. I mean, right now, uh, one of the boards they sit on is an advisory council with TC Energy. It's a national uh, a national uh, board. Uh, we were involved in Mexico, United States, and Canada, and their gas lines major, billions and billions of dollars. 
And um, what TC Energy is looking at, of course, with having this, uh, this advisory council is how do they effectively work with First Nations and Indigenous peoples, be they Métis, status, uh, Indigenous, uh, you know, how do they deal with all of this? So, you know, they've, uh, they've formed this, uh, this advisory council, which I am a part of, and uh, I'm happy to be involved. So, I mean, these are things that, uh, that have to be done. I think industry has to understand um, local politicians, government at any level has to, has to understand that, look, you can make this country great if you work hand in hand with Indigenous peoples. And that's what I advocate. And that's what I believe has to be done. Without it, you're going to have controversy. You're going to have unsettled uh, claims and you're going to have confusion. Industry has to have business. They have to have opportunities and they have to have security. To get that security, you have to involve Indigenous peoples. No question about it. I'd argue with any person in this country that that, is the, it, that has to fundamentally be done. And I think if all of our politicians wake up to that and understand that, we have a much better working economy. So we'll we'll dive back into some of the uh, the heavier issues, but I wanted to speak about uh, the Bears Lair. I've I've seen uh, I can't remember where I saw it. It was on one of my channels, but uh, you were involved with uh, the Bears Lair, and and I I got to find out about it. What's what show is this, and where can I find it, and when when is it going to air? Uh, the premiere airing is going to be through APTN television, September the 11th, Sunday, September the 11th. So I know, uh, uh, you know, I was one of the uh, judges on, on Bears Lair. There were several judges and the intent uh, and the whole purpose of Bears Lair was to, uh, to, uh, to focus in on Indigenous business people throughout Canada. And uh, it, uh, it's more of a supportive role as opposed to something like the Dragon's Den. And our role as judges was to help mentor, to, to support, but as well to be very clear as to questions on business. What do you have to look at? What type of capital financing do you need? How do you promote it? How do you advertise your business? What kind of employees do you have? You know, um, you know uh, where is your product? How can it be improved? Those types of things. So we helped encourage in the, in, in the back scenes. Uh, and uh, we worked uh, uh, on, uh, on with, with, with several of the, of the business people to say, look, maybe you should consider this. Uh, and we had a lot of nervous people. You can imagine uh, some of these uh, business uh, entrepreneurs, you know, they, they have, they're not used to television. They're not used to cameras. So you had people scared to death. So to comfort and to, and to uh, help mentor, uh, it was fun. Uh, but more importantly, I think it recognizes the profile of Indigenous business uh, peoples uh, in, in Canada. And I think that uh, the public, uh, I think this is going to be a phenomenal showing a, uh, there's a number of episodes that's going to run. Uh, I don't know exactly how many, uh, how many uh, uh, weeks it will be, but uh, there's going to be a number of weeks in September uh, through October uh, leading up to the final uh, finality. And I, and I think it's going to be something that people should watch and probably will enjoy watching. So was there any, anything that uh, you probably have some, some principles for business? Can you, can you share any or, Anything that uh, you found yourself saying over and over and over again that you must do this or you must pay attention to this because you've you've run uh, assorted businesses and I would imagine these are some of the tenets of of what you believe uh, a business should be run. So can you share some of the ideas that you have regarding business? 
Well, certainly. I mean, um, first off, a business has to be properly capitalized. There's so many businesses that fail because they don't simply have the capital or they don't plan on the capital. You have to plan for the rainy days. Uh, you you got to take the ups with the downs and on the on the downs, you have to save and and be prepared for that. Um, you need to respect the customer. Customer is always number one. The winery business, Indigenous World Winery business I have, Indigenous World Spirits, uh, we, you know, all, our, all of our employees are very much tuned into that. They know and respect the customer because the customer has to be looked after. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's true with any, any business to be successful. So having the capital, having the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the proper attention to detail, to respect the customers, know what they want, having a product. Having a product that's, uh, that's, uh, that people will relate to, uh, I think is really important to captivate on that, to, to, uh, to be better than the competitor, for example, and be aware of where competitors are going. Um, so many uh, businesses, I think, uh, get uh, maybe get streamlined or, or, or uh, they, they forget about competition and the competition can eat away uh, one's business very, very quickly. So you got to be mindful of that. These are all just basics uh, of, uh, of it. And you have to have proper books and you have to have uh, proper management. Um, and you have to have morale. Uh, I have some employees, for example, right now that, uh, you know, many have been with me for many, many years now in decades. And I'm proud of that. Um, I don't want to see people fired. Uh, I think that's the worst, uh, one of the toughest jobs as an employer is to have to fire one of your employees. And I don't want to see that happen. I've talked to other individuals who say, we've never fired. Uh, you know, I'd like to be able to say that. Uh, it's almost impossible. But to respect the, uh, the, the employee, to, to, to know that, uh, you know, they work for the business and they work for their families and, and you need to have a team. And I think that's really important for every business. You, you can't run roughshod over your employees. You've got to respect. You've got to do what you can. And I think that's important. I, and I certainly advocate that for any any business be it indigenous or non-indigenous or whoever it might be these are all just very basic principles that that one has to be mindful of so i've uh, golfed with you you're a pretty good golfer uh, <laughs> <laughs> how is the game these days anyway well, <laughs> I don't quite play enough golf, but uh, it's actually not bad <laughs> for my age. Uh, you know, for my age, I think I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I uh, I really enjoy the game. I, I suppose if if I were uh, were fortunate enough to uh, to uh, simply have more time, uh, I'd play every day uh, simply for the health of it, for the fun of it. But uh, uh, I would say I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good given the amount of times I play. So I just enjoy the game and I enjoy the company of, of, of other golfers. It's so much fun. And that, I think for me, it takes my mind off of a lot of the stress or the business. Uh, I try not let anything ever get to me. Um, you know, if you can, if you can shed the, uh, the water, uh, or the stress uh, in comparison to a duck's back, if you can shed off that water and uh, do so and get right out, right to business uh, um, and, uh, and feel good, um, that's what golf helps me do. So I enjoy it. It is, it is important to, uh, to stay focused for 18 holes and, uh, and be mindful of, of trying to get the clutter of the mind, uh, you know, out of your swing and what you're doing and the fluidity and everything else. But I, 
I find it's an interesting game for that. It's it's all about. Uh, oftentimes, it's in, in between the ears, which determines your score. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Uh, I've been fortunate to, uh, a few times to shoot under par, and I look back and I think, "Gee whiz, how did I do that?" And uh, yet, I've been uh, in the high nineties, and it's like, "Wow, why?" Uh, it's between the ears. It's uh, it's how you feel. It's how you relate. And uh, there's so many facets to that to that game. It's uh, unbelievable. If you have a, if your mind is focused on business and you're playing golf, uh, I don't think you're gonna have a good score. It just doesn't work that way. Do you do you golf? Do you look at your phone at all when you golf? Unfortunately, I do. I have no choice. So uh, uh, at times. If it's a very serious game, no, I uh, the, the phone is too much of a distraction. But having fun and just playing, uh, uh, you know, eighteen holes with uh, buddies, uh, yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll take the calls. But uh, I have to be mindful <laughs> as I don't want to disrupt, uh, you know, the, the other players as well. So you got to balance it a bit. <laughs> I turn my ringer right up. That's what I do <laughs> when somebody else is swinging. If you want to win against the other player, you know, <laughs> that might help. <laughs> so we have a municipal election coming up in Kelowna, and uh, there's probably going to be some new blood as uh, Councillor Ryan Dawn has, has stepped away. Uh, and and for the most part, there could be some new faces we don't know. Um, is there any kind of uh, issues that you f- you hope that are at the the top of the priority list for the incoming candidates as well as any incumbents that uh, win their seat back? Well, I think that uh, rights and reconciliation are, are, are big issues. And, uh, you know, my own community here at uh, in the Kelowna area, I mean, we have lands on both sides of the lake. Uh, the, the, the Okanagan Valley is part of our traditional territory. So, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have a claim here that goes back thousands of years. So having incumbents uh, in, having, having, a, having the, uh, the elected uh, municipal leaders in, they need to understand that. And I think most do, maybe some don't. Uh, I'm not going to say who doesn't or who knows, but uh, the, the fact is, uh, you know, we need to work together. So um, I see that uh, there's a, still a lot that can be done to work closer with one another. Um, I don't, uh, I, I can't, uh, I can't say today how uh, my own council today, uh, looking at my own community uh, has worked. Uh, I think there, 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 there hasn't been enough meetings together. I'd like to renew that. Uh, so whatever happens at, at West Bank and whoever is elected in my community and who's ever elected for seat of Kelowna, they need to get together as, uh, as governments, uh, municipal and First Nation, and, uh, and deal with the issues at hand. And I think that these are, these are just things, uh, just having the talks, uh, having these uh, meetings. And I think they should be regular scheduled. You know, uh, whether it's quarterly or uh, maybe semi-annually at minimum, I think those are important. I don't think that's happening right right now. So we have uh, um, some transportation issues that, uh, and and again, we're we're trying to manage various things, densification, and and uh, as Kelowna continues to be, as well as uh, West Kelowna continues to be very popular places to live. Any ideas or thoughts around that uh, from your standpoint of, of where we need to move and uh, any innovative solutions that you've seen that you think we should probably look at employing? 
Yes, uh, I believe so. Uh, several decades ago, uh, I sat down with the uh, former uh, premier of the province, uh, Mike Harcourt. Uh, I sat with him uh, in Ottawa, and I sat with him uh, uh, next uh, seats. Uh, we flew back from uh, from Ottawa through Toronto to to uh, to Vancouver, then to in, uh, you know to, to Vancouver. So I had a lot of discussion with him, and at that particular time, Mr. Harcourt mentioned to me that the Canada had retained him to look at municipal infrastructure and in particular roads and highways. He explained to me from his analysis, he saw Kelowna is one of the worst transportation corridors in the country. So that's always stuck with me because uh, any citizen, every traveler knows that uh, right now to go through Kelowna, you've got real, really one main thoroughfare with Highway 97 and uh, there isn't enough turnoffs. There's not enough uh, coordination. So I see uh, certainly the impact of a new bridge. Uh, that's that's critical. Um, being part of the uh, regional transportation uh, uh, discussions when I was chief a number of years ago, there was a time frame that the government of the day put on when the second bridge will be. Now the question is, where will it be located? Uh, there's been all kinds of studies. I mean, uh, going under the lake, uh, going the, the shortest routes, uh, the, the number of locations, whatever it whatever it ends up being, there has to be that uh, that corridor. And it, uh, it has to have some bypasses as well, so that uh, uh, to have good flowing traffic. Um, I mean, uh, we've got the whole, uh, the whole uh, Okanagan corridor right from the U.S. border, you know, right to, right to Salmon Arm. All of this is, uh, is, uh, is critical as far as the, uh, the infrastructure. I think roads can be improved dramatically. And I think that we need some really good, strong corridors. We need some some intersections that flow without the stoplights. Uh, all of those important things. It can be done. It takes money, and there's going to be some moving of businesses and buying out of businesses. But in the future, that's what this uh, what uh, this area needs. And uh, the sooner I see somebody really seriously work on that, the happier I, certainly I'm going to be. Can I just appoint you chair of that little board? And- <laughs> I would certainly be involved. That's for sure. I mean, uh, a lot of this is our traditional territory, and uh, and uh, and certainly there's a lot that has to be considered. And 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 they can move with it. I've I've seen projects in the past with government where uh, it was planned and all of a sudden uh, dismissed for various reasons. And uh, you know, uh, uh, right now we 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 need infrastructure. We need better roads. And there's too many potholes and too many. Uh, corridors that, that need so much improvement and it just well it's going to take money that's for sure and it's going to take uh, take a lot of uh, careful engineering planning but uh, there's people that can do that so the sooner the this uh, government uh, provincial in Canada you know and and the municipal uh, uh, people's work on this uh, including uh, my own community at West Bank I think the better can you help us uh, finish the rail trail <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another matter altogether. But part of the uh, part of parkways and uh, <laughs> cyclists and all, I'm mindful of cyclists. Uh, you know, I do have an e-bike, so <laughs> how do you I know enjoy the it? Of, uh, how do you enjoy it? <laughs> do you enjoy the uh, the e-bike? I have an e-bike as well, and uh, it's it's opened up so much opportunity for me. There, there's literally no excuse for me to hop on that bike. 
it's fun. Uh, definitely, it's it's fun. I know you just got to be careful, and you know, you know, you have to know uh, know uh, know where to travel. But uh, yeah, no, I enjoy it. I just uh, like golf. I don't uh, have enough time on the e-bike, but uh, when I do, uh, it's a Sunday afternoon or something. It's absolutely just tremendously fun. So I asked this of of uh, guests, and and I'm I'm always shocked at some of the answers, but. Uh, what would people be surprised to know about uh, about you, Mr. Robert Louis, former chief of West Bank First Nations? What would people be surprised to know about you? Mm. Well, um, hmm. that's a <laughs> good question. <laughs> um, um, one thing, uh, I'm not afraid of work. Uh, I'm not afraid of comfort, uh, controversy. Um, if something has to be advocated or done, uh, I pushed uh, uh, matters uh, beyond where maybe others might. For example, when the uh, when uh, WFN ran out of water uh, uh, several decades ago, I pushed the whole issue of uh, asserting the uh, title and rights jurisdiction and put water lines out into the Okanagan Lake. And that was against the advice of Department of Justices from the province and from Canada and you name it. Uh, but it had to be done, and uh, we did it. And uh, today we have one of the most modern uh, water systems there, and it works well. It serves the community. So that's controversy, and I'm not afraid of that. Uh, moving lands management, for example, that's a whole new idea, moving ourselves out of the Indian Act and asserting the jurisdiction. These are the things that I've been involved with uh, all my life. So I don't know if people know that to that extent of, of, uh, of, of, of when you have to move things and, and move forward, um, sometimes you take risk and sometimes you, uh, you have to stand up to controversy and you have to be sometimes be the first. If you want it, really want it to happen, you have to, to do that. And I'm not afraid of that. Uh, I've done it uh, and I'll do it again uh, if the right uh, issue comes, uh, comes forward. Uh, and so that's uh, something that I, I feel comfortable at, I pride myself at that. And I, I uh, certainly support other leaders who, uh, you know, you have to have the right reasons to do certain things, of course. Um, it can't be for the wrong reason. It has to be for the benefit of employment or communities. Uh, and if there's a real um, justified reason, then it has to be done, pure and simple. So I'm, uh, speaking of controversy, I'm reading a book called uh, Call Me Indian. And it was uh, in regards to the first Indigenous player in the NHL. And uh, it is shocking to me his, his life experience in regards to residential schools. I mean, I'm, I'm, the pages are turning and I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's, very, it's an emotional book. Um, any, any thoughts or, I mean, it's such a, it's a heavy, weighty issue, but uh, just, just your thoughts in regards to residential schools and, and the impact. Well, residential schools, uh, um, I go back, uh, I look at uh, the Okanagan history and I, I look at the number of people that, uh, that uh, not only Okanagans, but, uh, you know, the Shushwap and everyone just, for example, just narrowing it down to this province. And I've, I've heard many, many stories. And, and I think the Pope has made it very clear that it's been clear genocide. Uh, there's wrongdoings uh, that's happened there. In my own family, for example, uh, you know, my uh, my family never did go to res residential school. And you know the reason why? Because my grandmother stood up when my mother and my uncles were, were there when the 
RCMP and the uh, Indian agent came to take them to residential school, she stood behind a shotgun and said, you ain't taking them. Pure wow. and simple. She stood up. And I think the RCMP of the day and the, and the Indian agent probably thought, well, that's probably one crazy Indian woman there. She just might pull the trigger. And they backed away. Um, but that was the legacy that, uh, that happened in my own family. And as a result, unfortunately for, for our family, uh, my family didn't get the education. They were smart. Uh, they had the potential, but they never learned to read and write, never had the education. So from that side of it, in, in uh, Indian residential schools, there was a purpose. But when it was run wrongly and uh, when there was abuse of, of children, and uh, and we now know that uh, with these unmarked graves and the and the thousands of them that uh, appear to exist throughout Canada, there's been atrocities and genocide that's unbelievable. Uh, to have the you know the the apologies and so forth is one thing. I think now in the in the future there's a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, whether it's uh, communities repatriation of the of the of the bodies that uh, that are there, whether or not that's needed, whether some support some don't, that has to be figured out. Uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of healing that still has to has to work its way through the through the system. Um, and uh, there's some monies, there's some costs of, uh, of uh, having it uh, properly done, whether it's excavation of uh, uh, exhuming of bodies, that sort of thing, returning them to home communities, if that's the wishes. I mean, there's all kinds of matters that have to be, uh, to, to, to be understood. And, and I think that, uh, you know, what's happened uh, with the uh, bodies being found in Kamloops and in prairies and in many other places, almost every residential school has got its uh, share of atrocities and so forth. So there's a lot of uh, documentation that has to be pro properly reviewed and brought out in the open. I mean, that's going to take time. That doesn't go away overnight. So there's, there's so much that has to be done, but it has to be done methodically, um, properly, and, uh, and, there, and there has to be uh, hopefully a resolution. And uh, I think it started in the right direction. How far it goes, I think, will depend again on the on the church, uh, on government, and and First Nations. I have to say, this is uh, the time has flown by. I so appreciate you uh, taking the time with us today on on the Rick and Friends show. And and if you're listening to the program, I thank you for listening. We've uh, yeah enjoyed this time very much, and and I I so appreciate uh, the insight. And it's been just just a hoot. So I I think we should get you back on the show because. Uh, well, we just we just can't get enough, and there's so many other questions I want to ask. But again, I know you've got some uh, meetings coming up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be respectful of that. So uh, thanks so much, former Chief of West Bank First Nations Robert Louis. I appreciate you being on the program. Thank you very much, uh, Rick. It's been a pleasure, and uh, have a wonderful day.